The scripture reading for today comes from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 21. The sermon text, of course, will be again in 1 Peter, but the scripture reading is today Romans 12, verses 1 through 21. This is the word of the Lord. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For, as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Please turn now to the sermon text for today. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. 1 Peter 3, 
and verses 8 through 12. This is the word of the Lord. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let us pray his blessing on its preaching. Most gracious Heavenly Father, this is your own word, inspired by your Holy Spirit. We ask, O Lord... God, the Holy Spirit, would now illumine our hearts and minds to both understand and embrace what your word commands today. We pray these things for your glory and, in, and for our good. And it's in Christ's name that we pray, whose word this is. Amen. So Peter introduces this portion of his letter with the word, Finally. It's important to note that word because it punctuates the fact that Peter has been laying out a series of similar charges. He has been issuing like commands, of which this is the final one in the series. He has issued commands to the church regarding their civic duty of submission to magistrates, their vocational duty of submission to superiors, and their familial duty of submission to the husband and father. Now he issues a command on how to behave in the church. Read verse 8 with me. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. He first reveals those who are to heed and obey these charges. He says, all of you. These charges apply to everyone then in the church. In the first charge in our text, Peter forbids dissension. That is, a casual trifling with the peace of the body of Christ. We call things that disrupt the peace and soundness of a body by names such as cancer, tumor, infection. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we have all taken vows drawn from our book of church order of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church to preserve the purity, and the peace of the church. Peter's charge here shows the biblical nature of those OPC vows. Moving on, Peter then commands that we sympathize with one another. This means suffering along with one another, bearing the pains and losses of our brethren along with them, making their pains and losses our own personal concern. We are to love one another, he then writes, as siblings. Not as if we were just acquaintances who bump into each other once a week and speak 
perhaps once a month together. But as we truly are, that's how we should regard ourselves, as children of the same Father and members of the same household that are bound together with the closest of ties. In the same vein, he commands that we be tender-hearted toward one another in the church, not hard-hearted, pitiless, cruel, unforgiving, cherishing old grievances or harboring unkind suspicions. The last characteristic we are commanded to exhibit toward one another is a humble mind. Earlier in this epistle, we were commanded to submit to every human authority. And now we are, each and every one of us, to submit in humility to one another. There's a great command of the Apostle Paul that I encourage you to commit to memory because it will help you obey the Apostle Peter here. Paul wrote in Philippians 2.3, In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. In humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. Other translations re render that verse as, Regard others as better than yourselves. If you keep this command in mind, an attitude of true humility will characterize your conduct in the church. Regard others in the church as better than you. Let's move on to verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Grammatically, what Peter is saying in verse 9 seems to flow very naturally from what he just said in verse 8. So we should at least include within the field of Peter's concern how we are to react even when persecution comes, even from within the church. And that does happen. I'm sure you know. The ark of Noah had a ham as well as a Shem and Japheth. The tents of Abraham knew an Ishmael as well as an Isaac. And the camp of Isaac, in turn, had an Esau along with its Jacob. The visible church has within its pale both regenerate and unregenerate. Sessions cannot look on men's hearts. They only weigh whether a prospective member gives a credible profession of faith. So the covenant people of God has always had Ishmael's in their camp. And the covenant people of God always will have Ishmael's in her camp. And these children of the flesh afflict and grieve and even persecute the children of promise. That is, the children who have the promised spirit. They sow dissension, division, dissatisfaction within the hallowed halls of the king's courts. Paul says so explicitly in Galatians chapter 4. These people who are in the church delight, as the psalmist says, to point the finger when those born, born of the Spirit stumble in any way. Aha, aha, our eyes have seen it, records the psalmist, about charges levied against him from within the covenant community. Indeed, even when 
the remaining sinful nature within those who are truly born again, it can emerge and get the best of the the best of every saint and the best of the best saints. All of us are prone to point a finger at our own brothers and sisters, to look for and hence to find faults, real faults or imagined, to interpret words and actions uncharitably, to judge another man's servant. And so to curse and revile the brethren, even if only in our hearts, or whispered to a select few. So fraternal strife, even between true brothers, is not unheard of within the kingdom. And that is because, brothers and sisters, we all have feet of clay. It was primarily from within the covenant community, the visible church, that our Lord experienced cursing and reviling. He came unto his own, his own received him not. But the Romans, too, cursed and reviled our Lord. The wider world, as well as the covenant community, persecuted him. And the Greeks, they ridiculed Paul. And so we are to respond the way that Peter commands. Whether the persecution comes from our brothers and sisters in the covenant or from the world. Jesus himself tells you that if the world hates you, it hated him first. No servant is greater than his master. And he said that to Peter and the others. Of course, tit for tat, giving as good as one gets, that makes perfect sense. Meeting curse with curse, reviling with reviling, that comes very natural to us. It's the most natural thing in the world. That is, the fallen world. But answering evil with evil not only gratifies our sinful flesh, it actually satisfies our sense of justice. After all, cursing and doing evil to one's neighbor is wrong. And people who deserve it or do that deserve to get the same in return. At least that's what we think to ourselves. Well, that's true enough. They do deserve to be repaid in their own coin. But they aren't to get that repayment from us. They don't get their just desserts from the church. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. They're to get blessings from us in return for their curses. We'll leave justice to the just judge of the universe. He will do right. He, not we, will mete out that justice. So we are to follow our Lord in his kingdom policy of non-retaliation. But we are, only to do, we are not only to do so because he commands it, commands it, brothers and sisters, though that's sufficient reason in itself. But we are also commanded by the apostles not to pay back curses with curses or evil with evil because of our union with Christ. It is because we are united to him who himself underwent humiliation before he came into his exaltation. Our Lord, the Messiah, moved from an estate of humiliation to an estate of exaltation. And the Messianic community follows this same pattern. The body 
naturally follows where the head leads, as well as obediently does what the head commands. The body not only does what the head commands, it follows where that head leads. Only as we appreciate this fact can we understand the following verses in this text. And the quote from Psalm 34, and the application that Peter employs in verses 10 through 12. Look again at verse 9. Do you see how, how Peter seems to make a connection between our blessing others and God's blessing us? Is Peter connecting God's blessing us to our obedience to this charge? Is Peter then preaching a sort of prosperity gospel of sorts? Just do X, Y, or Z, and God will give you goodies A, B, and C. It does look as if Peter's promising earthly blessing in return for doing at first glance. But we will have to slow down a minute, not read over the text too quickly, and so misinterpret and misapply it. Take note first that in verse 9, the ESV renders the verb there as receive. But in the New Testament, this verb is usually translated as inherit, such as the King James translates it here. The noun inheritance and the verb to inherit are words freighted with great theological significance in the scriptures. And they point directly or indirectly to possession of the Holy Spirit and of eternal life in God's presence. Similarly, the word blessing is also a word the Bible uses with just that great significance. Now, before I show you these things from another place in the New Testament, please note one more thing about what Peter is saying in the last half of verse 9. Note the passive. You were called. You were called. This refers to our effectual calling. So this combination of key words in verse 9 carries great theological significance. And so these words must not be passed over too quickly. They must be understood with all the meaning that the scriptures load these words with if we are going to understand what Peter is saying. We must not take the, uh, a quick run through this passage and take away from it that temporal blessings are being promised and a long earthly life is being promised in return for obedience the blessing Peter speaks of here that we are effectually called to inherit it's not a temporal benefit like long life long earthly life or prosperity recall the assurance of pardon earlier today Peter speaks in this letter. He even opens it by calling our attention to our imperishable inheritance, unfading, kept in heaven for us. When Peter uses this word in our text, this word usually translated as inherit, he is speaking of no other blessing than the inheritance he spoke of in chapter 1. It is our eternal inheritance, kept in heaven for us, that Peter speaks of in verse 9 of this chapter as well. The life 
and the good days spoken of in verse 10 are eternal life in the kingdom. That aspect of the kingdom yet to come. This is Peter's notion of blessing and inheritance in this letter. And it is Paul's notion of blessing and inheritance as well. The apostles teach us how we are to understand the Old Testament promises and prophecies of good days and blessing in the land, which was the framework of types and shadows the Old Testament, including the Psalter, moved within. The earthly prosperity in the land that was promised in the Old Testament was but a shadow that pointed to a coming substance, which is life in eternal union and communion with God in the age to come. Let's turn together to Galatians 3. Galatians chapter 3, in verses 13 and 14. Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through him. Christ was cursed so that we might be blessed, that is, so that we might have a share in the inheritance he earned for us. But note the blessing he, he died to obtain for us. The blessing of Abraham. If we were to read the Old Testament alone, we would think that the promised land was the blessing of Abraham. But here, and several places in the New Testament, we learn that the promises given to Abraham were mere shadows of something greater. Types of something much better. The substance of those things promised by God to Abraham was himself. But here we can see by how Paul unites these two purpose clauses what the blessing promised to Abraham was. The blessing promised to Abraham and to us was and is God, the Holy Spirit. God is our portion our inheritance, our exceeding great reward. So Peter, in our text today, has in view long life, that is, eternal life, in the kingdom with our king. And he does this when he seems to be promising this worldly blessings in return for our blessing others, for blessing those who curse. Now, Beloved, though we have come to understand the text in this way, the way that Peter wants us to, now that we have avoided the error of reading the apostolic writings too casually and finding in them promises of earthly blessing in return for our obedience, we're confronted with another potential misstep of perhaps even greater consequence. We avoided the false gospel of prosperity, but if Peter is in fact holding out our inheriting this blessing in return for our obeying his charges, 
about blessing those who curse us? Are we finding here a a works-based salvation? Are we finding in this text the idea that we inherit eternal life with our God by something that we do? To this I must supply a quick answer and then a longer, more involved answer. The quick reply is no. It is only the merits of the, and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ that is imputed to us and received by faith alone that justifies us before God. We cannot, by our works, merit eternal life or any divine blessing. Only the righteousness of Christ can do that. All of our judicial acceptance before God is grounded in Christ's righteousness alone. But why does Peter then seem to say, and indeed both he and Paul seem to say elsewhere in their writings, that our inheriting the blessing hangs in some way upon such good works? You will find such things being suggested not only in the writings of Peter and Paul, but also in the sayings of our Lord and in the Old Testament. All right, I'll commence the longer answer to this question now. The scripture speaks this way because although our acceptance before God in Christ is based solely upon his work alone and not our good works, the lives of those who are accepted before God in Christ will ever be accompanied by, attended by, good works. We are saved, brothers and sisters, not by virtue only of our justification. That is what but one benefit of our union with Christ. That is what but one aspect of our salvation. As we are united to Christ for our justification, our being righteous before God, so we are united to Christ for our sanctification. At 1 Corinthians 1.30, Paul writes that you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us righteousness and sanctification. The Father has united the saints to Christ Jesus for righteousness, that is for justification, and he has united his saints to Christ no less for their sanctification. We who are united to Jesus are reckoned as perfectly righteous in him, and we are united to Christ to be made righteous, to be made holy, to be set apart for him, to be obedient unto him, and to do do works that he defines as good, to follow his pattern, including, as in our text today, his pattern of non-retaliation. John Calvin called this twin gift of justification and sanctification the duplex gratia, some Latin for you, or the twofold grace of God. That is, ours when we are united to Christ by faith. You see, in this salvation, understood in all of its comprehensive scope and wonder, we need not only be delivered from the guilt of sin by our justification, We also need to be delivered from the dominion and ultimately the presence of sin by our sanctification. But here in Peter's text, in this instance, 
It's the sanctification that gets the spotlight. The Bible doesn't tell the whole story in every place. Sometimes justification gets the spotlight. Sometimes sanctification does. So although we do not ground our salvation in our works, those who are saved by grace alone shall produce good works. The tree made good produces good fruit, even though the fruit did not make the tree good. So you could say that sometimes the inheritance in Scripture is conditioned on being a tree. And at other times in Scripture, the inheritance seems conditioned on producing good fruit. In other words, only fruit-bearing trees inherit the blessing, even if they do not inherit the blessing on the ground of the fruit. You need the whole counsel of God to interpret this and other passages correctly. The scripture will interpret itself. So all those freely justified by his grace will exhibit good works, such as Peter lists in today's text. And all those united to Christ for this twofold grace, the duplex gratia of justification and sanctification, will arrive, will inherit. They will inherit the not yet aspect of their inheritance in Christ. Such will come into full possession of the Spirit in the coming kingdom. These good works here of blessing, blessing those who curse us, these works will necessarily accompany our gracious justification. Again, those who are united to Christ for their justification will likewise be united to Christ for their sanctification, or they are not united to Christ at all, who is tasked not only to deliver us from the guilt, again, of sin, but also from its dominion and its ultimately its presence. You cannot be united to Christ only for justification. Conversely, you cannot get the inheritance simply by being good, doing good. You are either united to a whole Christ or you're not united to Christ at all. And all those who are united to Christ for, his justifi- for their justification are at the same time united to Christ for sanctification. To come into this inheritance, to love life and to see the good days of the consummated kingdom to come, one must be graciously called, must come to Christ, so as to inherit all the benefits of his redemption including not only the forensic benefit, namely justification and also adoption, but also the renovative benefit, namely sanctification. Peter speaks to the churches of blessing our enemies in the midst of persecution because we have been called to inherit an unfading blessing in the age to come, an age actually already begun in the resurrection of Christ only to be consummated at his return. Then we shall enjoy in full what we have received as a form of down payment now. Full possession of the blessing of Abraham, 
the promise of the Father. Then we shall see those good days. The only good days that concern the divine author of Scripture. As we come into our full possession of Him, God the Holy Spirit. As He transforms our bodies to inhabit that age to come. Where righteousness dwells. Indeed, though the psalmist in Psalm 34 speaks on the surface of blessings in the land in return for righteousness on the part of God's people. Psalm 34, as we discussed earlier, is actually about the Lord Jesus Christ, who alone can be denominated as the righteous. As I mentioned, this is made most explicit in verse 20 of Psalm 34, which follows after the part of the psalm that Peter quotes here, where it says, Of the righteous that the Lord keeps all his bones, and not one of them is broken. No human being will ever be considered righteous before God unless and until they are found in Him, in Christ, the righteous. Only then, they they too, who are united to Him, can be called the righteous. And only in Him will anyone find the Lord's ears open to their prayers. Only those who pray in the glorious name of the Son of God. So, we who are in him by a gracious, effectual calling must, like him, brothers and sisters, respond to curses with blessings as we inherit the blessing. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word today, the precious promises we find in it. We ask, O Lord, that you would increase our faith. Help us to walk in these truths we find today, these challenging truths, to to, to respond to curses with blessings. We ask, O Lord, that you would cause us not only to be obedient here, to do what the head of this church commands, but in doing so, to follow where the head of this church has led. And we pray these things in his name, whose word this is. Amen.